Ev, it's time again for another episode of Stick a Fork in It. Favorite time of the day. Yes, we're really <laughs> excited. We're very, very fortunate that we did this event in early November called the Imagine Event, mm-hmm. and we had rock stars yeah. um, sit up on a um, day of stage <laughs> yeah, and uh, just really share their wisdom when mm-hmm. it comes about our work and how we're all trying to make a difference in a community. We're really excited to who we have with us. I personally, my girls go to Hillsborough County Schools so um and Thomas mm-hmm. has joined us I'm back always again love that. <laughs> I don't know how here? I got the invite but I'm back again <laughs> you know people <laughs> I know people yes. you know people His name was um so well uh, Thomas I'd like you to do the introductions yeah. please yeah so we're really pleased to have a great guest with us today I think as we as you all know and the listeners know we kind of think about our work not only in terms of uh, just feeding folks, make mm-hmm. sure they have uh, food, but also the resources they need. But one of the most critical junctures that we have in the world that we serve is the juncture of health and, uh, excuse me, hunger and education. Yes. That we know that it plays a significant part in the well-being of children, but also the well-being of families. And so we're lucky to have with us today one Addison Davis. Welcome, <laughs> thank, sir. Thank Welcome. you so very much. Appreciate y'all having me today. Yeah, yeah, we're glad you're here. It's an important moment for us. And as yeah. as Shannon mentioned, it was terrific to have you on our panel. Yeah where we brought together a a group of, I think, significant uh, uh, leadership to talk about how do you build communities. And I I think we're going to talk a little bit about that today because I think you've come in here to a school system that you had to build a community, right? Yes, sir. Uh, That you had to think about how you wanted to to build an entire school system. So so welcome. We're glad you're here with Uh, us today. Thank you for having having me. And that panel was really, you know, inspirational to be able to, to wrap our arms around this community and work collectively and that collaboration is definitely what's needed in order to create the best Tampa Bay we can. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, very true. Mm-hmm. So we'd love for our listeners to get to know you a little bit first. You <laughs> know, right. I had a, a few <laughs> hints because a good friend of mine is in your world, Miss <laughs> Erin, who's sitting in the room. But we do know you're Florida. So we know all the yeah, stuff. I know, that right? I'm going to put a seatbelt on, put my helmet yeah, on, a chin strap. Get your helmet ready. <laughs> um, no, but you are a Florida native. Can you tell us about that? There's not a lot of us. I'm one as well. Yeah, you know what? Born and raised in Jacksonville, Florida. Florida. You know, my entire family is is from Northeast Florida, and it's a really remarkable place. Um, you know, grew up there, went to school there, got a chance to journey and and, and fall into education there, become mm-hmm. an educator, and worked 18 years from a teacher, holding so many different positions to be the chief of schools deputy in the 20th largest school district in the nation. And then I decided that you know what, I wanted to run for office, and I ran for an elected superintendency in Clay. County. One of the craziest things that I've ever done, but most rewarding things that I've ever done to be able to transition one and then being able to and led there for three and a half years as a superintendent. You know, so, you know, such a strong staff, made some remarkable transitions and gains academically, socially, emotionally, and then transitioned to Tampa, which is this has been an outstanding place to, to kind of to, to live, to learn, to grow, to raise a family and I'm mm-hmm. um, just proud to be here. Awesome. So you went, what, um, isn't Hillsborough County like the seventh largest county? Mm-hmm. Like, I can't imagine. It so is. even ap- even p- applying for that, the challenge <laughs> for that, or getting the call, because right. we've had, you know, folks yeah. on the show that got the call. Um, what a wonderful transition for you professionally. Yes, yeah, it, it's really cool. I mean, when, when Hillsborough came open, you know, there was a number of school districts that were open, and, and I had a number of offers to go and transition to lead, but... Hillsborough for me was a place that truly needed transformational leadership, mm-hmm. and at the same token, it was one of the only school districts, at, you know, that I could see where all of the civic leaders, delegation, community partners, and educators all wanted to work in unison to create the best educational experience possible. Mm-hmm. And for me, they needed a, a you know, looking at their analytics, you know, Hillsborough was starving for an instructional leader to really move the needle to help our schools and create the best experience. And for me, that was my skill set. So why other places, you know, we could have done and my, me and my family, this was a place in our heart that we really wanted to take the, the risk to, to apply for. And it's the seventh largest school district in the nation. You know, you get a chance to yeah. impact 225,000 students. You know, that is so rewarding in itself. And mm-hmm. um, talking about getting the call, 
I had to interview multiple times, and right then and there, you know, in the in the board room, sitting, you know, after interviewing for the third time, I believe, sitting in a room just waiting for it to be oh, called wow. downstairs to determine whether or not you are the next leader of this great organization, or you know what, we appreciate your time and right. you know, in, in our partnership, and so rewarding, so gratifying. Well, let's step back a little bit. So we we got to the answer. So let's step back, though. You're a kid running around, you know, Duval County, yes. right? Yes, sir. Uh, I assume you know, uh, throwing a ball or doing whatever you're doing. How how does a how does a kid say I want to be an educator? You know what? Openly, I backdoored in education. You know, I went and, and left, uh, you know, graduated from Lee High School in Jacksonville, uh, Florida, transitioned to go to Guilford College in Greensboro, North Carolina, play baseball. Uh, you know, afterwards came back and started to work for Jacksonville University under the athletic director. And, you know, six months of on a that. Smaller college, much yeah. smaller college, great, uni- you know, great university, awesome but university. a mu- much smaller uh, uh, college, more like University of Tampa here Absolutely. for Absolutely. Kind of the same mentality. It's a Division One, uh, you know, uh, with sports and athletics, but really small, really focused on educational high level. So transition to do that for, you know, six months while I was getting my master's degree. And, um, and what's the, your master's in? My master's in educational leadership. Okay. And decided to, you know what, go back to my high school to be able to teach. A position came open, and it's funny, a a PE position came open, and those positions never come open in education. When you're a PE coach in a high school, they stay forever. (laughs) Right, true. All of us us remember our PE teachers. So I was like, you know what? I'll do it and get a chance to give back. And why I did that, I finished my master's in my first year, but after my first year, I was like, you know what? I want to teach something else. And I I went to teach science and, you know, earth-based science in high school. The second year. And, and what you were, you were at Lee? Lee High School. Yeah, same uh, high uh-huh, school, you know, yeah. kind of giving back. And the third year, I was like, you know what, I want something else. And I opened up their magnet Amatrol engineering lab uh, for my third year that I taught there. And um, that was really cool. And after that, I went into administration every year. And, um, mm. you know, one of the biggest things of transition and, uh, you know, for me, education was not on my forefront. My, my, my dad, what my father was the national account manager for Kimberly Clark. Um, which is Kleenex and all those elements. Mm-hmm. And my mom is an entrepreneur. She owns a roofing, construction, land clearing, all those elements. Mom does. Mom does <laughs> and with her brother. And, and I had enough of that when I was 15 years old right. to 18 years old. To work. On the roof, playing rebar, doing all that stuff. I was That's like, Mom, I'm work. not doing it. And plus, when I got back from college, she goes, okay, you know, you can transition to the business, but you're going to start back on the ground again. I'm like, no, I went to college. She goes, it doesn't matter. So I was like, wow. then, you know what, I'm going to go find something. And I just fell in love with, with being able to coach, mentor, and Right. I was and gonna, that was exactly the question I was going to ask. I think, you know, organizations now, personality, you know, uh, typing services and programs are, are, are uh, uh, much more prominent today. But, uh, you know, we do it around here a lot, especially for who we want to hire, yes, right? Sir. It helps us tell who's the right kind of person for our organization. Uh, if you were to describe your personality, I was going to say coach and educator. <laughs> That's right. Uh, which do you lean more towards, coach or educator? Or, or how would you describe your, your natural gifts? Yeah, you know what? I think there's a balance in all of those. You know, one of my thing, my, my greatest gift is my wife and, uh, and my family. You know, she's my common sense That didn't all come the up time. on any of our uh, background <laughs> that we right. did for you. The you know, she's, and, but I, I would say that. You know, having that coach mentality, I, I've coached my whole life. My father was a coach as well, and okay. he coached me and my brothers. That's where and, it comes um, from. Okay. You know what? Being inspirational, I think, is one of the greatest gifts, and, and, and not being afraid to make hard decisions. The educational side, I had to learn, you know, for me. You know, I was a student in college that had to push my pencil every single day. It wasn't this, you know, the sharpest tool in the shed. But after being organized, training myself, being around individuals that were smarter than me, that led me to be a fast adopter in that process. So I think there's a blended model you know greatest attributes is to you know is to be able to, to, to take major risk and mm-hmm. understanding that um, we may strike out a little bit but we're going to hit more home runs than we strike out and mm-hmm. then at the so- same token being able to create and build capacity of others and I think that coaching perspective plays a big role in that process so you think about that you mentioned that you went from being a teacher which is directly right you know, uh, in the classroom, yes, right? And then you decided I'm going to go into administration, which yes, sometimes sir. can be hard for people because you leave behind yes, the thing you love. Because I think, and we it's talk hard. about this, <laughs> yeah, you're moving further.
further and further yeah. from the reason why you it's got hard. in the profession. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's, mm-hmm. So how did you, how was that adjustment yeah. and how was that adaptation for you? You know, after three years of teaching, you know, I, I, there was an opportunity to, to lead some professional developments for, for teachers while I was teaching. And, and, you know, I had an opportunity to start thinking about I can not only impact children, but now I can try to impact more adults as well. So that really allowed me to kind of take the path and take the risk of going into administration. And from being an assistant principal, a vice principal, a principal, an executive director of turnaround, a middle school cluster chief, a regional superintendent of DNF schools in Duval, to a chief of schools, and then the superintendent. I mean, that path was hard. And, and one of the biggest things for me is is that I try to visit classrooms as much as I can during my entire profession during the year during the week because that's where the magic is created. And and as farther as you get away from the classroom, some of the more the greater disconnect you have. Yes. You got to stay relevant in trends. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to be in the forefront to ask what's working, what's not, and what we can do differently every single day. And walk in classrooms, teachers will openly tell you, help you, and be able to see what's going mm-hmm. on, determine whether or not our return on investment in the mm-hmm. curriculum, then in the professional development that we're offering, is it truly sticking in the classroom? Is it making a difference so you can make adjustments and stride? There, uh, yeah, so we often, those of us that do this, especially because we're so far removed, the three of us aren't, although Ev is more in the field than, than we are in some ways, uh, we'll go volunteer at different things we sure. do just so we remember what the heck we're doing this for. Right. It fills right. your That's cup, right? right? That's it right. fills your cup and keeps you That's right. Yeah. Keeps you motivated on, yes. every day. And, yep. Uh, and why, am I, why am I doing this? And, yeah. and I try really to have that thing. same mindset with, you know, I have two daughters. You know, one's a 17-year-old at, uh, that is a Hillsborough student, and the other one is a 21-year-old that plays Division I softball at East Carolina University. So, ah. you know, I, hats off to my wife for, for you know, allowing me to, to work relentlessly for mm-hmm. educators and um, while she did a really good job helping develop their you know scope of who they are today and yeah. they're beautiful young ladies so two questions about education for you as a teacher yes, sir. so the first question would be is there a kid or kids that you still think about today that are in the back of your mind that you remember you taught and you wonder where they were today, where they are, how they ended up? Do you still have a couple of those folks that's now, or one that stays in your mind? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I know they all matter to you, but there's those ones you know, that come across your... This is a story that... Um, I don't know how. I'm just going to say it's how appropriate it is to talk about it. But, you know, in a high school. This is I was, solid PG-13. Uh, yeah, right. One curse word. You know what, um, <laughs> when I say this, I, I, I won't say his name, but there's a young man in high school that when I was a high school principal, I was at a, a school that really needed a leader to, to care about this community. You know, I got a call um, in the main office, and I transitioned to, you know, the restroom where there's a young man in the restroom. No one wants to go into it because he has a, he has a firearm. Um, I go into it, familiar with firearms. You know, build a, build a relationship with this kid prior. I was the only one he wanted to speak to and connect with. I was able to, able to take that off of him, unclip it. It was loaded. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he had some so – he was going through a lot from a mental health perspective. He was, uh, you know – you know, trying to protect himself, you know, before, you know, after school every single day. And this is the mechanism he thought he had to do it. But openly, you know, that kid begged me not to be able to push for, you know, expulsion for him. With our code of conduct, we just had to do it. I mean, we, we can't have and tolerate, you know, weapons on campus, especially creating a safe place. I saw that student two years later after he graduated high school and, um, and he went to alternative path. And he, he saw me on a college campus as I went to be a speaker to, um, you know, to, to future educators. He stopped me and he goes, Mr. Davis, you, you may not remember me, um, but I was a student. I said, I know who, exactly who you are. And uh, how are you doing? He goes, well, I want to pull something out. He pulled his high school report card out where he had all DNFs in the time that I connected with him and took that firearm off of him to show me that he kept his high school diploma card with him, which we gave out in Jacksonville, that he kept that in his wallet. And he said, these are the greatest motivators that I've ever had mm-hmm. to change my life. I now attend college. This is a part where I will become and seek to become an engineer. And he goes, if it wasn't for you helping me and sending mm-hmm. me and, and coaching me through that process and me and my family during a very difficult time, I've never become the leader who I am today. And, you know, those are the stories we, we want to see and, and we live for in education. It's it's nothing about money. It's, a, you know, our money's nice. It's about being able to see the impact that we've made. 
one bad one bad decision doesn't define who we are. And this mm-hmm. learner made a bad decision, and, and for so many different mm-hmm. reasons. And but for us to be able to help him and his family coach him through that process, for him to get through a number of hurdles, you know, for today, you know, I wish I had his contact number because I would call him. But I think about him all the time. Yeah. Well, it's, I think it's interesting that all of us. Uh, you were talking earlier today, Shannon, and I were about someone's coming in for lunch today and talking about a mentor that you had. Yep. And you're, you know, I think uh, when we think about teachers, we often think about those, you know, that each of us had somebody that along the way, yeah. right, stepped yeah. into a moment that we were struggling yeah. with and yeah. uh, provided yeah. that, right? Because everybody absolutely. has challenges with Listen, parents in life. Absolutely. Right? As adults and leaders, we have moments. <laughs> absolutely. We have challenges. And I wish we had the crystal ball to make all the right decisions. We try our best to, to make it based on students. And, you know, it's, um, it's just rewarding to see kids that, you know, that have that complete transformation and be able to transition to do some really cool things and um, I'm glad he stopped me that day because if he didn't stop me I would never known the you know the hurdles that he overcome and and where he is to be able to, to to save his life but to be able to impact those around him as well. Thank you. And the second question I had about this was, so you're a teacher at, I, I assume you're probably at this point 25, 26 years old? Yes, sir. I was 25 years old. Yeah. So you're a teacher at 25 years old. What crossed your mind, your life, your desk that you still draw upon today? Is there something, is there, are there some truisms that you still say today, you know, I remember when I was in a classroom or this affected me or impacted me. How did that inform the leader you became today? Or did you take something from that that informed the leader you became today? You know what? There, there's two of the greatest positions in education that everyone ought to experience. One, the greatest job is to be a teacher. The most rewarding job is to be a teacher. The greatest job is to be a principal as well because you can impact the entire community. Um, you know, for, for me in the, in the four walls we call our classroom, the ability to connect with children, you know, it, it just wasn't about covering content and you know that's the easy part the biggest thing is is to gain access to every one of our students that we had in our classrooms to know that that I walked into my classroom and I let my hair down even though I don't have I used to have hair when I was 25 <laughs> I, don't, I don't now I'm 46 but um, you know let our hair down to let them know we're, we're human and we're there for them I think the biggest thing was standing at the door every single period while children and students walked in my classroom to be able to really connect with them uh, you know what i love your uh, you know uh, it's a cool shirt is that new i love your shoes you know what a cool belt uh, i heard you had an awesome game last night and scored 20 points those things mattered and when children you know you can only move at the speed of trust and when they knew that you really cared about them then they would open that they pull that curtain let them know that, that they're here and they care and they would be all in every single day and and that has you know followed me in every job that i've ever had and and you know, even here coming in, you know, first week of COVID and having some difficulties and complexities. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad I was the one to be able to lead this district through those elements because I learned a lot professionally and personally, became a better leader, educator, father, parent, all those elements. But those are the times that we understand that you have to take time to build a relationship and people need to know you genuinely care. Mm-hmm. And then you can move, you know, at that speed of trust and you know, I think that's the biggest thing I would give advice to anyone is, is build those relationships because those are the foundations you need in order to thrive every day. So take us to coming to Hillsborough County. You've touched yeah. on it a little bit. You had a lot thrown at you. <laughs> but when they brought yeah. you in that room and said, yeah. you've got the job, yeah. what's next? What are those challenges sure. that straight on but yeah. of course that you're overcoming but what was it like yeah so first and foremost always read the asterisks at the bottom <laughs> of your contract <laughs> when you sign the contract you know and um you know this administration coming in there was a, a lot of excitement about accelerating hillsborough county you know we were i was ready to go i signed a contract in january of 2020 uh, ready to transition as fast and as eager as I can to get into our schools to identify how we can accelerate learning and how we can wrap around around this community. And, um, you know, the first week here, as you know, COVID started. I yeah. had to shut down 220,000 students, 250 facilities, 25,000 employees, and no one across this country was prepared for that. Fast forward a few months into that, getting into June and July, you know, we 
found herself, uh, you know, looking at the budget, $150 million in deficit and having to make some very difficult decisions, had to cut 1,500 positions, had to, um, you know, re, you know, reconfigure uh, our financial outlooks, make sure every dollar and every cent was accounted for, aligned to our strategic plan, remove vendors, con- renegotiate contracts, be more efficient on our routing for buses, you name it. We had to make some hard decisions that no superintendent wanted to make, especially when not coming in and <laughs> right. leading behind a screen for eight months and no one able to connect right. with you. You, you hadn't right. had a chance to establish any relationships. No one knew me. No right. one. They just knew that this guy was coming in, cutting jobs, cutting people, yes. and they feel like he didn't care he about didn't education. Your so you're very popular. Yet. Yeah. In the first eight months, I tell you right now, everywhere I'd go, someone would try to roll out that red carpet for me. Like, please walk on it, Mr. Davis. <laughs> you know, walk on it. But one thing, you know what? I wasn't giving in. I had. It was my job to protect this organization, even if it meant, you know, losing my job to do the right things. Mm-hmm. I was willing to do it. And we went some hard times. And you fast forward to where we are now, and we have made record, you know, academic improvements in this school district, moving from 35th to 19th, eliminating historical DNF schools from 28 to 5, leading the state in uh, career technical education. We had record high graduation rates. So this is all because of the hard work of our teachers and our leaders at our schools and, and the work of the school board being partners. Yeah, I think you have quite a list there of some of the accomplishments of yeah. uh, of the past is it uh, I guess you'd, you're coming up on three uh, three years, years. yeah, yeah. Uh, feels like it, 30 it's pretty substantial <laughs> it is it's quite the was... laundry list so there's something to be said about baptism by fire oh uh, yeah I agree <laughs> yeah. Yeah. for sure that and and having the knowledge um, so what you, you've been here you went through COVID is there something that you are most proud of you know what <sighs> I'm most proud of that our teachers and our staff continue to return to our classrooms every single day. I mean, with with COVID, it revolutionized the way we did our work in education, like every other business. Every other, they had to make adjustments. They had to pivot. And uh, you know what? You take on the pandemic. You take on you know, having larger classrooms because we had to cut positions. You take on all the political and the social penetrate, you know, complexities that are penetrating our classrooms and they still show up every single day. I'm most proud of them for not, you know, transition and turn away for children because they need us every day and our, and our school-based leaders as well. So, you know, there's been a lot of accomplishments and, you know, over my profession, but that's all because of, of the ability to, to support teachers, support school-based leaders, mm-hmm. and allow them to have the freedoms to connect with children in ways that allow them to discover endless possibilities. So, you know. We don't often get someone of your background here, so we have a couple of different questions I think we'd like to understand more. Uh, and as, as we said, we, we don't work towards controversy, but I think there's some question and conversation in our mind that we'd like to understand more about what's happening. So you talked about the young man with the gun. Yes, right? sir. We, in our work, see people at their greatest vulnerability, right? When someone comes to us and says, hey, I can't eat today, can you help? It's a position of tremendous vulnerability, right? right? And the pandemic laid bare many more folks who are struggling than I think people knew. That's right. And so that's really the first question I wanted to ask you was about the children and the families in your care. What is your sense of where they are as human beings? Yeah. Uh, is there a greater vulnerability? Are they at greater risk? What's your sense? Yeah. You're, you're in and amongst uh, families in our community sure. every day. When you sit down with your leadership team and say, well, we've got we've to get better school books or better yeah. classrooms <laughs> or lights on. But really what you sure. said a few moments ago is we're dealing with human beings that are navigating a very, very troublesome set of times and circumstances. How are you thinking about that in your work today, and what are you seeing? Yes, sir. It's in the forefront. First and foremost, Thomas, what you and your team do at, uh, you know, Feeding Tampa Bay is remarkable. I mean, we, we talk about, you know, from our side to adopt curriculum, to be able to, to adjust instructional frameworks, to, you know, connect with children on a smaller scale in small group instruction or independent learning. We, you know, all those are what we do every single day. One thing that the pandemic did, it exacerbated the essential problem. Mm-hmm. And those problems are to make certain that our, our families and our students had the essentials just to be able to compete in our classrooms. And, you know, we, we never knew that this community needed us so much. Mm-hmm. And we talk about being able to provide breakfast, to provide lunch. And when the pandemic started, you know, we had to set up, we originally set up 
I want to say around um, 100 plus sites for our families to come to us to be able to receive, you know, weekly meals to be able to make certain that our students were taken care of. After the first week, we knew it wasn't enough. You know, we went to 150 facilities, and also we went to 100 routes in our community mm-hmm. where we could meet the community where they were mm-hmm. and because they couldn't get to us. And uh, so we, we had to have the greatest multipliers to be able to make certain that our families and our, and our students really had, the, you know, the, all the, the necessaries to be able to function. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even just, you know, from a food perspective. When we transitioned to go to remote learning, students didn't have connectivity through Wi-Fi, and we had to partner with, you know, the Hillsborough Educational Foundation and other providers. We had to buy when I, you know, transition and coming in, we only had twenty-eight thousand laptops for two hundred twenty thousand students. We weren't even prepared for that, and the supply chain was was backed up. Right. I mean, Department of Education was calling me because Addison, you bought the last forty-five thousand laptops available in the state. Can we have some? Uh-huh. No, you can't. No. My children need them, <laughs> right? Wow. And um, so I bought them on purpose. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you can't have any of these. Sorry, <laughs> but you know, it, it just opened our eyes to something that we, in education, we knew, but we didn't know it was at the greatest scale. Um, we had to, uh, you know, we, we transitioned this year in, in our schools to become a, a, you know, CEP community, which is a community uh, eligible provision community where if 40% of your school was on free and reduced lunch, then they could transition to have free breakfast and lunch for the entire year. Well, we have 170 schools that are part of that process out of 250 schools. And that just tells you where we are mm-hmm. uh, from the essential perspective and the great need. Not only were we addressing you know the food you know in transition and, and leveraging the 28 pantries that Tampa, you know feeding Tampa Bay help us design and, and fund and, and properly extend to our families but we had the, to expand mental health services at a greater scale and yeah that this is that part yeah this is a part I think that it's really on my mind is what would you say the you know the you know you go back again the story you told about the young man will stick with us for a while because these are the yeah. circumstances we find people in um, what would you say the mental health and well-being of the students that you're supporting are, and how are you thinking about as a as a provider of education? Sure. Yeah. How are you thinking about how do we solve? Because one's got to come alongside. You mentioned obviously we believe food has to be alongside yeah. education, 100%. but clearly mental health mm-hmm. <laughs> services have to be alongside education. Absolutely. You you know we all thought COVID was our our pandemic, but mental health has become a real pandemic, especially in education and. And, you know, while that exacerbated, you know, when we talk about a lot of our families and a lot of our parents, they lost their jobs during that time. They were out of work for an extended period of time. Those couldn't work remotely. Our businesses were shutting down. That that exacerbated the food securities within insecurities within our uh, within our homes every single day, and um, that penetrates the classroom 100% where kids are mentally physically checked out because of maybe hunger, whether because they're not intellectually connected, they're going through some type of traumatic experience. We had to double down on expanding. Uh, social workers, being able to expand school counselors. Uh, We have Hillsborough Assist now that we recently launched. It goes on every one of our students' profiles when they log into our systems where they can connect uh, dots and uh, and honestly tell us whether or not they need food, they need utilities, they need mental health. We expanded to over 110 drop-in clinics to have a clinician, you know, a therapeutic clinician at every one of our schools just in case someone had a bad night or they had an experience on the bus or with a friend they can see them for five minutes and determine if additional Mm -hmm. experiences are needed so we've done a lot to be able to wrap our arms around our students who need us the most and um, we're trying to free our school counselors up they're overloaded um, but we also you know we expanded we had a number of students being baker acted and we wanted to stop that cycle and we expanded to create a mobile response team that when a student could potentially be baker acted we had a suite of clinicians and engineers that were going to the school to determine whether or not that student just having a bad day versus putting that student in a system so you know can you describe what baker acting is to our listeners just yeah so you know if we have a a student that may be in a psychological place to harm himself or or herself or someone else then we have to be able to determine whether or not that individual may need to go to a facility for a 48 hour period of time or extended period of time to be exposed to immediate resources in Mm -hmm. mental health services 
services and counseling to, and look through a battery assessment to determine whether or not there's growing needs. And, yeah. um, you know, we want to break that cycle. We want to be able to, to, to de-escalate situations because, you know what, we're human. We have bad days. Yeah. Right. You know, it's, it's uh, I think uh, we mentioned a few moments ago that we have a list of the accomplishments of your administration, which, as we said, are quite uh, substantial. I think, you know, just listening, I don't think folks understand what you have to do in order to create those accomplishments. You just outlined five or six things in a row that you had to put in place just to make sure that the system, the students, or the families are prepared and ready to be successful. Yes, sir. As you think about your work in the future, and you heard us at Imagine sure. talk about the same thing. We've always been in the food business, but we realize that's only one part of the yes, conversation. Sir. As you write, so now we expand into other services because the same thing, when someone comes to us for a meal, that's really just a symptom. It's not yes, the problem. Yes, sir. As you start to think about the future of what you see uh, education as and the job of a superintendent, the job of a school system, are you thinking just as much about how do we provide these ancillary or wraparound services or support mechanisms? Yes, sir. They have to go hand in hand. When you talk about having the vision for Hillsborough County to become the premier school district in the state of Florida, and we will become that, it is you know, time on task. It, it, we can't do it in isolation. Education by itself cannot be the um, you know the, the single provider. And you know we need uh, outstanding partners such as what you do, Thomas, for feeding Tampa Bay. But we also need need education foundation we also need um, our PTAs to stand strong with us we need our faith-based partners to be there for us uh, civic organizations and we've developed a Hispanic forum an African-American task force and all of those elements have to be you know work in concert in an effort to genuinely help create the best experiences the days of developing the whole child are over it's about developing the whole family and uh, that has to there's Ah, there it yeah, is. Okay. It, and, and it has to be, you know, it, it really has to be a full court press in, in, in that space. And, and that's leveraging federal dollars, that's leveraging local dollars, that's level, um, you know, uh, state dollars, all to create these spaces. But it takes time to do that and time out of our schedule. You know, you, you have to wait. Are you going to go to a school today? Are you going to really get the civic organizations in one place to really, really triage and unpack how we're going to really focus on early childhood, giving three-year-olds, four-year-olds into our schools? How are we going to have beautiful pathways for our kids to become a cardiologist? How are we going to you know, be an EKG technician, going to be able to become a welder, whatever it may be? Mm-hmm. In that same continuum, in that same space, there has to be a blueprint and a plan for us to create it. And um, we're, doing a good, we're, we're doing a good job. We always can do better. Yeah. And we got to lean on it to, to, to have the better spaces. Well, let me ask a little bit about the system again, because it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, I think, important that folks understand context and what you're, you're, you're trying to accomplish. So when I last saw you, I think we had, uh, before the Imagine event, we had uh, lunch with a couple of friends, and you uh, stood up and made a very impassioned pitch for <laughs> increased funding. Yes, sir. Right? Uh, that was not, unfortunately, uh, from our perspective, unfortunately, a short-sighted answer yes, from sir. the voters. Yes, sir. Uh, so how are you thinking now about uh, the process of making sure you have the resources for education when you don't necessarily have the funds you need to create the outcomes you want? How do you think about that? And again, I want to be yeah. clear. We no, don't, we don't ever want a court controversy. No. It's not our but, – but the reality of the yeah. decision, right? We always say we're apolitical. We just deal with the ramifications of decisions made. Sure. Right? How do you deal with the ramification of that decision? You, you know what? We, For us, we've got to be creative in our solutions and we've got to really look at every dollar and every cent and how we spend those dollars and maximize those whether they're categorical or whether they're flexibility dollars and really make sure they align to our strategic plan and you know if you want to see what's really important in an organization look at their budget Mm. and their budget will tell you their priorities as an organization ours is early childhood ours is workforce development ours is uh, you know trying to win the talent war every single day of recruitability and retaining our, our education Educators, and then also creating the, the greatest culture that we can that's really supportive and interactive. Um, through that process, we know that 
we have to lean on partners. You know, we wish we had the funds to be able to set up 28, you know, food pantries within our community. And we thank you for doing that mm-hmm. and your vision for accelerating that and finding funders because, you know, by the same time, we wish we could do it because there's a need. We have to have great, beautiful partnerships as we do with Feed in Tampa Bay to make that a, a consistent reality. And we thank all the donors who systemically make that a priority to our community because it makes a tremendous difference every single day. So it's really being able to, you know, just be in the forefront every year. One thing we don't do, we don't copy and paste our budget. Our, you know, every year, my cabinet has to defend their budget and look at a three or five year trend and what they're in and look at the vision for what we're trying to accomplish because our needs particularly change and our learners change every single year. It's, it's changing at a fast pace. What we did five years ago doesn't work today in education. What we did, you know, two years ago, we have a different learner today. So we've got to be able to have flexibility with the times and flexibility with our finances as well. $4.3 billion budget. That's uh, that's fairly. You can't carve off a couple hundred million for feeding Tampa Bay. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but you know, it's I think, most of those handcuffed. I, I, think the, <laughs> I know it is. And I think the follow-up question to that, though, is in some ways, you know, um, we would say and often say to legislators, prevention is less expensive and more effective. Intervention more expensive, less effective. How do you have that argument, that conversation with the community? How do you say, look, folks, we want productive members of society, or, hey, Mr. Company A, B, or C, that you're now looking for employees, if you just work back upstream a little bit, we'll create some more for you. That's right. Right? Or we can't have the same taxation system in place that's been in place for 25 years and expect the same results with X number more kids. How do you have that conversation with the community in a way that I don't, you know, it's probably never a good idea to punch someone in the nose, (laughs) right? But how do you have the conversation with the community to say, look, folks, investment matters. Investment completely matters. And, you know, the millage that we asked for to be able to put children. very reasonable. Yeah, to put students first and, and it was to, you know, to properly compensate every one of our educators and our employees in education. Education is the foundation of everything. And, and for our community, we've all been impacted in a positive manner by a teacher in our life and understand that, you know, in, in, in society, and I don't mean to go on a soapbox, but we get it wrong. We sensationalize athletes and we sensationalize actors. When are we going to put teachers in that forefront of that process? Yeah. And, you know, 500 votes away from making a reality. Oh, and, I didn't realize it was that. Yeah, it's, it's like 520 oh. votes. Where are those know? 520 people? You know, I don't know. I don't, you know, maybe we can get them next time. Yeah, but uh, and next time we're going. But um, you know what? This is our future. These are, you know, I'm 46 years old. I, I know that our futures in our schools, these are individuals that could potentially be taking care of me one day, you know, whether it be, you know, whether it be in, uh, you know, from a medical perspective, whether it be from a mental health perspective, these are going to be, we're going to be leaning on and we've got to be able to invest in them because we, you know, we, we talk about how, you know, you know, we, we want this bright future. Well, guess what? It, it takes the greatest educators, the most highly qualified, skilled educators to create that space on a consistent basis. And, you know, being able to, you know, double down and, and help fund education. And we push legislators all the time. And there's two, there's two areas that, uh, that drives the, the state budget. One is health care and the other is education. And while we see a little bit of movement in the last two years, the community, you know, we see many communities across the state stepping up and filling the gaps to where they are educationally. And we're going to go back out in 2024, you know, because our, our teachers need it. They need they to do. feel valued. And um, Yeah, one of the stories that this comes from my days at the food bank in Jacksonville. One of the stories I remember uh, that I still tell today uh, was we had a group of students, students volunteering, giving out food, and one of their teachers was in the food line. Wow. Right? Wow. And one wow, of the students impactful. looked at the right, looked at the other. That's a reality. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be. I mean, it's, you know, I think for all of those that may listen to uh, this, we feel we all have an obligation and responsibility to invest in our community. And it's become more controversial, and we've lost perhaps the point of the matter, which is to make sure that children can be educated so that they can live into the future that whatever someone's beliefs are that they have available to them. I want to shift into another conversation. We'll again skirt the edges of of, uh, controversy. (laughs) School books, school curriculum. Yes, sir. School boards. Yes, sir. Very different in the last two years. Yeah. 
again, we don't want to get into what someone believes or doesn't believe or are finger pointing, but you're now navigating a very different system than you had, which is uh, we're going to order these textbooks. We're going to teach this yeah. curriculum. You know, we're going to do the best job we can. We believe we're, we have the right information in front of students. We feel good about this. And now you're in a world where that may be questioned and or in certain instances you have your own educators who are put in challenging positions. Again, we, we, we don't want to have the conversation no, to say, let's go blame somebody. Right, that's the question. It, yes, the reality. the reality. How do you start to navigate a system that now has a political sure. uh, overtone to it that it didn't previously have? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing we see right now is that um, you know parents' rights do matter. We want parents to be actively engaged as they are their first educators. And when it comes to being able to adopt curriculum, the, you know, every school district has systems and processes in, in, in a uh, adoption committee that really vets materials along the way. With that said, we got to make certain that the content we put in front of students, they're just grade appropriate. I mean, they, we want to make sure that they are grade appropriate so that we're not exposing the students to, you know, to ideologies or to content that may be disturbing and, and understanding our, our place in our space. Our, our role and responsibility is to teach state standards. And those state standards are identified and approved upon by the board, Florida Board of Education, transitioned down to us. And our job is to, to adopt curriculum that aligns with state standards and stay within that scope and that sequence of that process. Um, there's new movement that now we have to be able not only to post all the curriculums that we adopt and make sure that it's age appropriate, which we do in Hillsborough County. There's also being able to look at the, the texts that are in our media centers and also in our classrooms now. So we're working through process to get that information uploaded so parents can, you know, if there's text that they don't feel comfortable with, their student can opt out. But we also know that, that textbooks are where students, you know, discover who they are. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and they discover, the, you know, who, not only who they are, but they discover, you know, the love of, of, of reading and the passions of, of reading. So for us, we're always going to follow state statute, new rulings and requirements to make sure it's age appropriate. And then at the same token, continue to train our, our media specialists who's done a really good job, our, our curriculum teams to be able to, to follow the guidelines for selecting, you know, curriculum within, within our, within our school district. You know, the Department of Education is coming out with some training in January for, uh, for media specialists. We look forward to having a better understanding of, uh, of their vision for our work so we can turnkey that and make certain that it's a priority within our school district. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a very different time. And, it is, uh, I think, you know. It's complex. Right. It's not easy. I can right. tell you that. Right. So for those of us that sit on the outside and observe your world, uh, you have a wide variety of constituencies that demand That's a correct. certain level, right? So whether it's a parent wanting their child to be educated, whether it's a school board that has certain priorities and expectations. That's right. You know, uh, whether it's the teachers that carry the load for you, their wants and needs and issues. It's a difficult balance. And you mentioned earlier in your conversation today, you talked about the idea of leadership and what standing in means to you. And, and so as you, as you kind of come back to that topic, as you think about that a little bit, as we get close to winding down, uh, as, you, as you think about that topic a little bit, uh, when I came and took this job, I had an idea of what I thought it needed and what I needed to do and I needed to be. Some of that I was probably very accurate. Some of it I was completely totally wrong. Right? <laughs> now you think about three years in and yep. you think about, right, these are some, the job you have today is is certainly a, a significant move forward in, in your opportunity to, to lead and to develop vision. How are you thinking about all of that today? You know, you've navigated yep. the pandemic. You've now started to say, okay, yep. we can go forward. <laughs> What's your view of what you want to do and accomplish and, and your concepts around leadership with that? Yeah, I mean, right now we're in the process of uh, continuing to be and drive the most ambitious you know, instructional strategies in our classroom. We're, that's always going to be to make certain that we have high-quality education, high-quality personnel. Uh, we, we're, we're pushing to create accountability matrices for students where they're owning the learning, they're demonstrating understanding. And if we do those things, uh, you know, we're going to be successful, and we've, we've led to be that way. Now it's about, you know, continuing to be innovative spaces. We're launching a medical and a construction academy next year, which are the needs within our community. We're looking at a potential newcomers, uh, you know, opportunity, which is to address all the uh, Hispanic 
uh, you know population that we have that are transitioning is the majority of the majority of students that we serve are Hispanic within our community. We're looking at creating uh, you know gifted, talented uh, spaces with uh, you know artificial intelligence, with augmented machines, uh, with looking at bringing solar with with Tesla being on board, uh, looking at a leadership discipline, you know uh, leadership discipline academy that really talks about the five branches of military and and getting people to kind of love and be excited about that process. Um, so I think the innovative spaces are where, where we're trying to go and accomplish and really focus on workforce development because the majority of our students are looking to earn a livable wage. And how do we penetrate organizations and agencies within our community to adopt our facilities and to adopt our classrooms to create that longer, stronger bench for them? And then at the same token, being able to, to really have a greater presence, you know, as a little one is, uh, you know, is born. You know, we want to be, as soon as a little one is born, we want to have a care pack from Hillsborough County Public Schools wow. to help parents understand how to be that first educator along the way. So, you know, for us, we're, we want to have better three-year-old and four-year-old programs in our schools so we can gain access to them at an earlier perspective. And at the same token, we have to transform our middle schools because that's where our children and our it's a, it's a most difficult age as a parent. Oh, yeah. They're trying to figure out who they are socially, emotionally, and, and uh, intellectually to where those are stronger entities where people have pride for us and they know that we're going to do some really cool things. And um, so kind of that's where we are. We're in the process of reboundarying uh, our district and then maybe repurposing our facilities for some of those innovative solutions, but also making some of our, uh, you know, solutions, uh, our schools and our facilities for, you know, available for affordable housing for our employees. So there's, uh, there's some really cool opportunity in front of us so what does that require of you as a leader <laughs> it, you know what is is to make certain that I am empowering my staff and you know my job is to create this greatest vision for the school district and to be relentless in that process but it's also to be able to create systems and processes where these ideas come to fruition navigate through and interacting with the board and community where they understand and they have buy-in in that process and then really having task-oriented skills and, and initiatives where this becomes a reality so for me that looks like 17 hours a day every single day and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know I thank my wife for Natalie for allow me to do it because you know openly when you go into education and and i'm guilty of this you got to have a better balance and um you know i'm a workaholic and and i in you know about six months ago you know we talked about recommitting ourselves to to what's most important and family is most important whereas you know education's always got the best of me and 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 my family got the rest and you know now it's time to to flip that and and especially in a time uh, you know of giving in this season and I look forward to having greater balance in that process. Yeah. But we'll work relentlessly every day. <laughs> <Yeah. for him. laughs> so, you know, you've, you've brought your family in, and, um, you know, I would be really interested, and you said you've recommitted in the last few months. What is a wonderful memory around the table? We know great things, yeah. just like today, happen around a table. What's a wonderful family member memory that you have? Yeah, you know what? Uh, <laughs> I thank my wife because one of the things is, you know, growing up, we had to be at the dinner table at, at 530, mm -hmm. you know, growing up with my siblings and my parents. So I thank them for instilling that. But in one thing we did at our house is my wife wanted to make certain that we, we reclaimed the dinner table every night. And when we sit down, you know, as a family, the, you know, the, every night it's, it's all about a problem solving with our daughters and, and we mm -hmm. all share what successes we had for the day, what areas of opportunities we had for the day, and openly how we could, you know, help our daughter, how to education, you know, how how'd you do educationally today? What were some of the big ideas you're working on? And, you know, or we're in that space we call our other you know, my daughter in college mm -hmm. in, in East Carolina and ask her how her day was. And I think the the greatest thing for us is having that time to reclaim the dinner table and create space to create accountability and uh, you know, to be a community of problem solving for each other. And um, because it's most important, you know, op openly, where it's so easy to go to a drive through in a fast food chain, get a number two, come back home with that Chick-fil-A and sit on the couch and watch, t and watch TV versus sitting and having a meal every night with your family, which is a priority for us. And I think that is one of the greatest attributes that we've created and spaces that we created for us. Well, and I think what your future will look like because you took the time to do that you know i'm just speaking from experience my dad was the guy that i still even called <laughs> in my 50s to talk about my day my yeah. challenges and it all started That's around awesome. that dinner dinner table as a child so 
food on the dinner table? You got to tell us. Uh, What's your favorite food on the table? <laughs> well, you know what? I get in trouble a little bit at the house because I like to eat black beans. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I was usually, and it's kind of weird, I, I eat those five days a week. <laughs> black beans five days a five week? Five days a week. I'm wow. like a fun sucker when it comes to meals. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, five days a week. So it's really, my wife's really easy to cook for me. It, you know, it creates frustrations because we want to be able to have, uh, you know, different experiences from a food perspective. I've gotten better, but it usually would be black beans, pico, cheese, and sriracha. Hmm. Game on. We'll go to work for that. <laughs> and, um, you know, now I've done a little bit better. I think I've gained some more weight <laughs> in the last couple of months <laughs> to, to make certain that, you know, there's grilled chicken involved and all <laughs> that. So black beans are definitely my favorite. And I'm excited every day to eat it. And uh, it's kind of weird. <laughs> it's easy. <Yeah. laughs> okay. I may mix it up and add some rice. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So you're like a bowl kind of guy. What Do you have like a, a vice? Is there a food that you crave? Or you have to have around besides the black beans. You know what? I'm, I love Tostitos. Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah, that yeah, goes yeah. with black beans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean Tostitos and pico or Tostitos and salsa. It doesn't uh-huh. matter what what, it, what kind of salsa. Yeah. You know, it does matter what t- what type of Tostitos. <laughs> the scoops. But other than that, yeah. The if, scoops. They're, if, if they're around, I mean, like I can't walk by the table. I just have to. There's always a double take, and I'm so going back. You're a back. salt guy, not a sweet guy. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. I do not eat cookies, cake, ice cream, chocolate. But, I don't but do any of those salt things. Salt is your game. That's game on. Yeah. But I actually heard. There is a sweet that you like a lot. Why? Um, sour sour ones. Oh, so, right, so here's my jump. So I would say, you know, I'm sorry to say this. Last October, I had to put like $5,500 in my mouth. Oh. <laughs> and so when I did that, I have selectively abandoned uh, all oh, type of candy. Oh, yeah. gotcha. I, I mean, okay, that's uh, a good yeah. reason. I'm a good motivator. Uh, well, I'll say this. Other than I've been eating some of these uh, Halloween pumpkins. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, you know, I've been hammering those. <laughs> so if anybody finds them on the shelf anywhere still, I don't know, send them to me. I will reimburse you. <laughs> they have little Christmas trees that taste very similar. Do they? Oh, oh they do. They do. Oh, wow. We'll find you some. We'll find well, you some. Well, can't wait to check that out. But other than that, I've been really good. I used to have pound jelly beans, you know, like Reagan style. He loved them. and uh, But now I've kind of backed off and Sour Patch Kids. So, mm. so it's The dentist was not fun. Well, yeah. I think we have day. one more question. We do. We uh, actually yeah. do. Uh-huh. So we're going to let you escape and we appreciate mm-hmm. your time first of all thank you for stopping by mm-hmm. it is so great not just for us to get to know yeah. you better but our listeners yeah, well, and I'm, I'm really excited for them to meet you and talk to you more mm-hmm. but another thing came across the table that uh, one person at this table was more stunned than any of us uh, Ev. Yeah, the rumor well, is. Well, you know, so I've, I've I've heard that you've never tried mac and cheese before. Oh, I have never. <laughs> I have never. My mom is, is, cooks it, and she always has. But yeah. I never have tried mac and cheese. I've never yeah. tried baked beans, and she makes everybody is says it, she makes the greatest. Are these texture issues? Yeah, or what is I, I what's the break on this? Because <laughs> so I love spaghetti, and uh, mm-hmm. you know. I, but I'm just, I'm not a big cheese fan. Oh, that's also okay. weird, yeah. I mean, I, mean I, I, I like cheese on my burger. Sure. I like cheese on pizza. I like cheese on my bean, black beans. Yeah. But other than that, I'm like, I'm not in on it. And I just think a lot of cheese together on noodles, I'm oh, just man. not excited about it. Oh, wow. Okay. But, my mom, but my mom, but my family loves okay, it. They love her. I'm hanging in there. My mom, my mom doesn't take it personal because I have four other siblings and they hammer it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, I get, I get a pass. That's funny. My right? wife loves it, you know, so. I've, I thought everyone ate it growing they up. They love it. So, you know, thing. we don't make it at home, but when we go out, they always order it. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. <laughs> so, Classic kid it. food. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's kind of weird, but, you know, especially being from Northeast Florida. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah, it was kind <laughs> of food, food, yeah. South Georgia. Like, exactly. you know, you're going to eat black beans. Soul you're going to eat greens. You're going to eat, <laughs> yep. you're gonna eat those things. But not the mac and cheese. Well, yeah. thank you again. Thank you. Um, it's been a treat me. for me, actually, to have both you and Thomas. You guys have very like minds and leadership. You care first, and that's what makes the real difference it's no, genuine you. and it's oh, heartfelt you. and i see that from both yeah. of you so thank uh, you yeah, so and much. i think i would say thank you for your care and concern for the students of our community mm-hmm. well, i think you. it's uh from our perspective it's the most important responsibility anybody can have is care for a child sir well, and thank we're you. grateful that you're willing you and your team are willing to do that for yeah. our community well i appreciate you and your leadership in this community and this partnership and having me today it was fun yeah. thanks You can learn more about Feeding Tampa Bay and how to join the movement at feedingtampabay.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and TikTok at Feeding Tampa Bay.